Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, I'm joined by reading expert Abby marks Beal. Abby is the creator of Revit Up Reading, a course designed to help you read faster with better comprehension. And she's here to talk to us about the basic principles of speed reading based on a brand new video module that she created exclusively for Dojo members. In this episode, Abby explains why your attitude towards reading is so important, shares some specific strategies to help you find more time for reading, and she shares a couple tips to help you manage your reading workload faster and more efficiently. If you find yourself with too much to read or wishing that you had more time to read, this episode is for you. You can find links to everything that we discuss in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 159. And now, on with the show. All right, so today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is reading, and we have a special guest who's here to talk to us about this, Abby Marks Beal. So welcome to the podcast, Abby. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you are, for those who are not familiar with you, you've been on the podcast before, and probably the thing that you're most known for in the productivity circle, I would say, would be this program that you developed called Revit Up Reading. Is that correct? I would like to think so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And Revit Up Reading is a great course that you actually gave me access to, so I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole idea behind the course is not just to become a speed reader, but it's really to become a better reader. And that was one of the things that I got when I went through it was it's not just reading faster, but it's also the comprehension and a lot of those things, which we'll get into in this episode. But uh, really what we're going to be focusing on in this particular episode is how can you read more in less time? So it's kind of managing your reading workload. And Abby, why don't you tell us right at the beginning here, why should we care about reading in the first place? <laughs> well, I think... I think reading is the mother of all study skills. So if you're, if you want to become a lifelong learner, which, um, a lot of people do pride themselves in, then I think reading is where they have to start. You have to get good at it. You have to like it. You have to be attracted to it. And I also see a relationship between a person's ability to read and how much they read and how successful they are. And successful doesn't necessarily mean financial, although there's definitely a correlation to that, but it's also how successful you are as a thought leader in your profession or as you succeed either as an entrepreneur or as an employee. I think it's also about being just even a good parent, being very successful as a parent because you can read so much from other people who've been parents and have advice, you know, for parenting and you can learn from other people. And that's really what you get from a lot of the nonfiction reading. Um, that I talk about in, in trying to read more in less time. Yeah, there's a, a phrase I heard the other day. It's not that we're illiterate, it's that we're illiterate as a <laughs> society where it's not that we can't read, but that we won't read or we don't read. We don't. Uh, and you've it's got, so true. Mm. <laughs> and you've got some statistics here. I know you mentioned that there is kind of a correlation between how much we read and how successful we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have some statistics that you could share with our podcast audience on that? Yes, I do. And actually, I've also included them in the dojo module. But um, there's a gentleman named Tom Corley from the Rich Habits Institute. 
And I got attracted to what he's, he has been doing because it was very interesting to me. And it's not about becoming rich, but it's about what is the difference between people who are wealthy, who are perceived to be more successful than those that are not wealthy. And he talks about many different habits, but when he zeroed in on reading, of course, my antenna went right up and I was like, let me hear what he has to say about that. And he talks about how there's, um, you know, 86% of the wealthy love to read. Wow, well, that's that's a huge percentage. And the 85% of the wealthy read two or more educational books every month. Uh, 88% of the wealthy read 30 minutes or more each day. And 63% of the wealthy listen to audiobooks during their commute to work. And I also think it's podcasts, by the way. It's not just audiobooks, but really good podcasts, just like this one, uh, that people should be <laughs> listening to. So I think that it's all about this... Um, voracious appetite for learning what other people have done, what they've done that hasn't worked, that they've done that has worked, and incorporating what they feel is important into their lives. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you made the, the made that point about podcasts being included with audiobooks as well, because that's kind of how I got into audiobooks, is I just started listening to podcasts. That's how I got connected with the Asian Deficiency Team. And a lot of the, the people that are in my my quote unquote circle of trust now. Uh, they started off as people that I listened to on on the internet, who I allowed to speak into my life. And I think it was actually on John Lee Dumas's podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire. He mentioned that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm. And books and podcasts and audiobooks, in essence, what you're doing when you select the right books is you are spending time with those people. So if you are able to learn from some of the smartest and most learned people on the planet or in the history of the world, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? What a great quote. And I think about uh, the, the concept of garbage in, garbage out. And I look at that like some of the stuff on television. It's like you're spending so much time watching some pretty bad stuff on television. And, and you think of if that's what you're spending your time with, then, then how is it that you're able to translate you know, success in your life? So if you're with really good stuff or, or educational television instead of you know, sitcoms all the time, I think you, you're better off. So it kind of goes that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are you familiar with Jim Rohn? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I got a, a, an audio book because uh, uh, someone told me at one point, you need to get the book, The Art of Exceptional Living. And I couldn't find the actual book version. So I bought the, the CD. It was a cassette tape off of Amazon. And he tells a story in that, that audio book. Uh, and he uses this illustration. And he's basically talking about the fact that there's all of these books which will teach you the things that you need to be uh, to be successful. And there's a lot of people who just don't have that growth mindset in order to take advantage of it. And he uses this analogy of if he, if he found gold in his backyard and he calls up his friend and he says, grab a shovel, get over here. I've got gold and uh, it's readily available. And uh, his, his friend says, well, I can't, I can't do that. You know what they charge for shovels nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> like because the focus is wrong, they can't overcome that initial obstacle. And I think that that's kind of where we're at as a society when it comes to reading video is so, uh, so readily available and we just want to be entertained so much, but I'm glad you shared those statistics because what it shows is that the people who are able to overcome those initial obstacles, there's a wealth of knowledge that is right there for the taking. You just have to apply yourself in order to, to get it. Now, it can be a little bit intimidating because there's a large amount of information that's available to us and more is being created every single day. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gets into this next section here about why we need to be able to read more in less time, why we need to be able to read faster and comprehend better 
because otherwise we're just not going to get through it all. Now, uh, in the past, you know, this is what I would define as speed reading, but I think maybe you've got a little bit different definition of what effective reading is, and maybe you can kind of highlight the difference for us between just speed reading and actually effective reading, uh, which is both fast, but also um, you're able to comprehend a lot more of it. Sure. So if uh, you think of speed reading, you think of perhaps you might have seen on television somebody who basically takes their index finger and zips down a page and then zips down the other side of of the book and then then goes to the next page and zips down the page and zips down the page. And everyone's saying, well, I can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, of course you can't do that. It's it's almost a very, very superhuman ability. And there are some people that can do it, but that's not what I like to, to teach. It's not what I could even teach if I wanted to. It really what I like to share with people is that in effect everybody has a built-in gear shift and a gear shift typically has five gears if you think of a car and so gear one and two are the slower gears three four or five are the faster gears and if you think about uh, most reading education most of us only stick in gear one or two because you know the faster gears of three four or five are not emphasized at all in our education and so as we get older we have a need to use you know faster gears but we just don't know how and so by learning some really simple strategies you can get into those higher gears and you can choose what gear to go into and it's not about you know zipping through the pages but being more efficient and so I look at people let's say you you double if you're lucky you can triple your reading speed and then learn how to modulate it within those five gears so it's not about you know thousands of words per minute because that's really kind of unrealistic for the average reader yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you used that that mental picture at the beginning of the person just zipping down the page because I have to admit that's what I thought of at first. Yeah. When I thought of speed reading and uh, the the stick shift analogy that you you teach in your course that was really powerful for me because what I what I noticed after going through some of the exercises and things was that I actually am a pretty fast reader or I was a pretty fast reader to begin with uh, when I did the baseline test in your program. I started at 342 words per minute with an 80% comprehension. But by the time I got to the end of the course, I was at around 600 words per minute and about 90% comprehension. So exactly what you're talking about. I not only (laughs) developed the speed, but also the comprehension. And that stick stick shift analogy uh, in the course specifically, you have the different uh, reading exercises and you can actually select the the gear shift and you can move it and it gets faster as you go. And some of the higher gears, I I confess, like I had trouble keeping up with those. Mm -hmm. But what it showed me is that I don't have to stay in those lower gears. I can develop the ability to read faster and faster and faster. It just takes some practice, but it's not the kind of thing where you're either born with this innate ability to just absorb everything that you put your eyes on it's actually a skill that the the average person can can develop. Well, you're a great student and you have learned a lot. <laughs> Love to hear that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a great testimonial, so thank you. For sure. So, you talk about a couple different types of readers in your course. Uh and it's kind of starts with the the attitude. Now, I know that you you talk about positive and negative attitude and I'll let you uh I'll let you kind of define these, but uh, what I went through your course, I realized that I actually was a lot further along than I thought because I had developed this positive attitude already. And then, like I mentioned, the baseline, uh, when you define the different types of readers a little bit later on in the course, realized that I really wasn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> a lot of people find that out, Mike. They really do. After they figure out what their words per minute are and, and I give them the baseline numbers, 
And that's because everyone is conditioned to think a certain way about their abilities and without any anything on the outside to prove them different. And so when I come in and I, I share this with them and they figure out what their words per minute and comprehension are, they I would say a good 75% of the people are relieved that they're not as bad as they thought they were. <laughs> so so that's a, I love that because that in and of itself is a huge confidence booster. And that in, that helps people then be more motivated you know, to work in the course. And so if you come into reading and thinking you're really slow or you're really inadequate or it's just a not satisfying experience for you, then then chances are that you're not going to attack reading or look to reading for your development or um, do any kind of reading for work unless you absolutely had to. And even then when you did it, it would be very painful. And if you have more strategies, more positive, uh, positive attitude means you have some strategies in place that allow you to get what you need quickly, that is a more satisfying experience, that you get value from what you're reading, then you're going to probably have a, a bigger pile to read and you're going to be happy with it and you'll read more on screen and um, you'll just devour things better when you have a more positive attitude. So I, I like to help people develop that. So if you start with a negative, I want it positive. And if you already start with a positive, I really want it to be super positive by the time that you're done. Yeah, I think this is a really powerful first step. And I think that this applies to just about anything in the productivity space where you've got essentially the uh, the, the passive versus the active. If you really want to grow, if you really want to uh, improve your situation, you have the ability to do that, but you will never you will never get there just by sitting there and waiting for it to happen. You have to take control of the situation. And I think that that really starts with your attitude, because if you're negative, if you have a negative attitude towards uh, the email in your inbox, for example, you're never going to touch it. If you have a yeah. negative email towards using your task manager, you're never going to open it, and then pretty soon you're going to be back overwhelmed. And so that that attitude, where you you have to you have to sw- make that switch over to a positive attitude, where you believe that yes, this maybe is a problem, but it can be solved, and I have the ability to solve it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I can I'd love to share with you a quote. It actually just came into my inbox today from someone who uh read the book Ten Days to Faster Reading that's a part of my online course Rev It Up Reading. Is that okay? Can I share that with you? Yeah, absolutely. So this gentleman uh said to me, he said, um, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to write your book Ten Days to Faster Reading. I learned a lot. I'm an avid listener to books and have always dreaded reading anything. I'm fairly certain that I haven't completed a book in my entire life. I was sent a book by a powerful mentor of mine that didn't come in audio. I listened to your book, because I have it as an audio book, and was then able to complete his book in one day. For the first time in my life, I was in flow while reading the, t- reading. the time was just slipping by, and I was using as many techniques as I could. You gave me some confidence in something I always had limiting beliefs about. I'm so grateful for your time and effort in serving me to break down a huge limiting belief in my life. That is awesome. That is such an amazing, I mean, that just warmed my heart today um, with this gentleman. And he's in a startup too. He let me know he's doing a startup. And um, I think he's going to go far now that he has some good reading skills. So (laughs) I'm really excited for him. Yeah, that that is awesome. And uh, and I love the fact that the, the 10 days to better reading, like that's a very small piece of your course, but that's enough to get him the confidence that he needs 
to carry over. I mean, this could literally change the rest of his life because if he develops this habit, like the statistics that you shared earlier, these translate into success. And I know you mentioned at the beginning that we actually have a, a dojo module, which is released by the time that this podcast airs, which is based off of your course. And it can kind of do the same sort of thing. It's a video, uh, it's a video intro essentially to this, this topic of, of, I don't want to even say speed reading. I'll just say reading more in, in less time, uh, reading faster, reading more effectively and uh, help you make the switch from being a, a passive, mindless, unconscious reader, <laughs> as you define it, to yeah. an active, mindful, and conscious reader. Do you want to maybe explain uh, some of the different characteristics? We don't have to go through all of them, but what are, like, it, just to help people who are listening to this locate themselves, identify whether they need to make that switch or not, like, what what does a passive reader look like? What does an active reader look like? Sure. Um, I'll highlight a few of the um the qualities. So the first would be that a lot of readers who are passive read without a purpose, meaning that they hear something they have to read, but they're not thinking ahead of why am I reading this? What do I need to read it for? And how much time do I have, you know, to get through it? It's more like, okay, here it is. Let me just look at it. Um, so people who read with a purpose are more active and mindful. I think people who read one word at a time, which is really not, not anyone's fault. It's kind of how we've learned how to read are also more on the passive mindless side because there's still a decoding of words. And so when you read word for word and and you use um, a narrow eye span, which is basically one word at a time, it's a more passive version than if you're reading in what's called thought groups, uh, not just one word at a time, but you're reading like a phrase at a time. And you read with a purpose in mind, like, why am I reading this? I'm reading this because, you know, my professor had... uh, given it to me and um, I, it's, I'm responsible because I have to write an essay on an exam and I need to know vocabulary uh, for this. You know, So it's like you know why you're doing it or I'm going to be pitching my boss on a certain product and I need to know more about you know, the market. So it's all about knowing you know, what am I doing here and what do I need to spend time on instead of just like hoping something will jump out at you. So those are just two, two things right there. Uh, I'm glad that you pointed that out. There was a, an article that Brandon Wentland, who's another dojo member, and he did the 12-week the year module, the journaling module, and a couple other ones, I think, in the dojo. Uh, he wrote an article one time uh, about how to read more by focusing on problems that you want to solve. <laughs> <laughs> and it's exactly what you're talking about, where if you have a presentation coming up, you might read a book like I did on how to give better presentations. <laughs> it's really identifying the thing that you want to improve and then finding the material that will help you solve that problem. That creates a lot more reason to go through and finish uh, the reading material than just, oh, I need to read this because somebody said I should. Right. And then if you found something, though, that was appropriate to like how to do better presentations, that book could have something about, you know, the history of the oratory of how people learned how to speak. And you're like, that does not apply to me right now. I don't need that. I need to know how to give better speeches. So you can skip over that whole chapter because it doesn't meet your needs. You yeah, that's I mean? another that's another really important distinction, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget who I heard say this, but uh, I think maybe it was Austin Kleon, um, author of Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work. And I think that he, I'm sorry if I'm misattributing this, but I'm pretty sure I saw him on Twitter one, at one time, uh, post something about being okay with not finishing every book that you start. <laughs> yes, yes, totally. There's so many to choose from. Like, go find another one that, that you like better. 
Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's hard for me. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a completionist, but, uh, I, I can't even count the number of books that I've suffered through over the years. And, and when I finally got that, it made reading a lot more fun <laughs> knowing that I had the, I had the right at any point to say, I'm not going to read this anymore. I don't like this. <laughs> Life is too short, Mike, way too short to suffer through a bad book. <laughs> right. <laughs> So the active versus passive readers, there's a lot of like very general, uh, general characteristics there. But then you've also got a couple very clear distinctions on the number of words per minute. You've got like the talker, the average and the thinker where the talker is about 150 words per minute. The average is about 250 and then the thinker is 350. This is one of the things I really liked from your your course. So uh, would you mind just explaining real quickly what a talker versus a thinker is? I think this is a very important distinction and people need to know what they're shooting for in terms of reading more efficiently. Sure. So when people first come to, to take a course like from me, they need to know where their baseline is. And so this, these are baseline numbers. And so someone who's a talker, meaning that they are literally either moving their lips while they're reading or mentally talking word for word, mentally whispering in their head while their eyes are on the page, they limit themselves to about 150 words per minute. And so a talker, really the first thing a talker can do if they move their lips is to learn to keep their mouth closed, <laughs> put their finger up to their lips and, and not um, move their lips so that it becomes an eye to the brain uh, phenomenon instead of eyes to the page, to the mouth, to the ear, to the brain. That makes sense. You want to try to circumvent that um, need to, to talk and to hear. And that's just a natural thing because we've learned how to do that from the way we've learned how to read, just to sound it out, hear it in your head. And so we need to kind of break away from that now that we have what's called a sight vocabulary, meaning we see a word, we know what it is, we don't have to say it in order to know it. So we can then move to a, a faster speed, which is either the average speed of 250 or even faster, which is thinkers. And what thinkers do naturally, or they learn how to do, is to take the individual words and put them together into a phrase. I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier with the active mindful readers, but there are people that come into a course, and I'm betting because you were you started at 342 words per minute, that you were more on the thinker side, but you didn't even know that you were doing it. And so once you knew it, then you can take that idea and say, I'm intentionally going to look for groups of words instead of thinking I'm reading word for word. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty accurate distinction, although I had a little bit of a, a head start. When I was little, I used to read a lot. And then for quite a while, I, I got away from it. But then over the last year, a little over a year, uh, I've been doing a, another podcast with a friend of mine, Joe Bulig, called Bookworm, where I basically mm -hmm. found the, the statistics that you shared. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and I, one, one specifically said that the what separated the top level CEOs from all the other CEOs was the fact that they read two books a month. And so we agreed to read a book every two weeks, get on the, the mic and, and talk about it on a podcast and hopefully people would listen. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> but, great. But uh, yeah. the takeaway was just that we were reading the books and if no one listened, it, it almost didn't even, didn't even it matter. Didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so Got I've been it. doing that for a while when I started the course and I, I, I could definitely tell that the first book that I read for Bookworm, uh, it took me a lot longer to get through it than they do, do now, even before I started the course. But like I said, I still improved by almost a hundred percent and yeah. my comprehension went up. So yeah, practice, you know, <laughs> got to have experience with it. That's great. Yeah. But I, I, I think that the talker versus the thinker 
uh, descriptions are really important because it's it's literally a switch that you can make just by changing your form in essence. Like if you change how you physically approach your reading, your words per minute can go up considerably just by like you talked about getting rid of that that path that went through your mouth because your mouth is going to slow you down. And I think that that can apply not just to reading, but just anything productivity related. I know a lot of like the the meetings that we have for Asian efficiency, for example, uh, if I take the time to think about the problem before we get to the meeting, I can get a lot of progress made on the problem. But if I wait till the meeting and then we're going to try and hash it out and people are thinking out loud in that that arena, you know, where it's by verbalizing the the thoughts that you are processing them, uh, then we don't make as much as much progress. I think it relates. I'm also thinking that when somebody's reading that when they put words together that create a thought that it makes it easier for the brain to digest. So when you have a thought that you're looking at, like um, on my, my favorite exercise called Discipline Your Eyes, it says the purpose of this drill is to discipline the little muscles that move the eyes from left to right. That's the first sentence of it. And the way that I just broke it up is in these groups of words, which makes it so much easier to understand instead of the purpose of this drill is to discipline <laughs> You see the difference? Yep. Yeah, so when you when you group the words together, it's like, oh, it flows. And when you're reading even technical material, it makes it even easier because technical material is pieced together by smaller words and it makes more sense when you do that. Yeah, that's that's uh that's really interesting and it kind of leads into the next section here where you've got some different exercises and on how you can actually become a better reader and read more in less time. And I know that in the dojo course, you've got even further uh, explanations of these, but maybe you'd want to just kind of walk us through some of these from a, from a high level. Sure. Just from a high level, most of them, except one extra that I'm going to give as a bonus um, that what, doing a one minute timing, which I call the quick and dirty of how to figure your words per minute. I do provide that in the dojo for, uh, getting a baseline, and then also to kind of play with with one of the strategies that I share. It's called the white card method. It's about 80% of the people that use it or, or are introduced to it really love it, and that's why I decided to include it into the dojo so people can learn about that. But the piece I didn't share, which is uh, something I, I kind of ran out of time and space for, but is really important about how to read more in less time, especially and only really for nonfiction, is that understand that everything that is written in nonfiction started from an outline. And so I'm thinking about the books that I've written, that anytime I've written a book, I've had to outline it every chapter. And so what you're basically reading when you read nonfiction is a fleshed out outline. And so your job as a reader is to kind of go back and try to figure out where the outline is. Now, textbooks are beautiful with that because they actually give it to you sometimes in the table of contents. So it's there. There's kind of the, the basic overall outline. But you can also get it really easily. And this is this is so this is a gem. I'm telling you, Mike, this is the gem. This is what saves people <laughs> from like killing themselves when they have so much reading to do. And that is is that the first sentence of every paragraph is going to lead you into a thought and the next first sentence of the next paragraph down continues the thought and the next first sentence of the next paragraph down continues the thought and it and it's not that you're skipping over stuff but what you're trying to do is to get the structure first and if you need more go in and go for more detail but by reading first sentences of paragraphs you're basically getting the writer's outline and you're just missing some of the detail and explanation and for many people that's enough 
especially with a magazine article, maybe with a textbook chapter, it's probably better that you do that as an introductory exercise to say, okay, what is this going to talk about? Now let me delve in and get a little more specific. But it's just an incredible time saver. It kind of pulls you out from walking on the ground to about 10,000 feet above the air, understanding like what all is here? What do I need? Let me just get what I need and, and move on. Yeah, that technique has saved me a lot of paragraphs. <laughs> yes, and if you and you, and you get a lot more done in less time, even though you haven't read the whole thing, you probably have higher level comprehension than someone who spent time reading every single word. Yeah, definitely. Now, this actually is not in the outline, but that raises a, a question that that I have for you. Um, when you're reading nonfiction in particular, do you tend to take notes in an outline format or do you use, uh, well, first of all, I guess, do you take notes at, at all? And then do you use the outline format or do you use something more free-flowing like a, like a mind map? So it depends on why am I reading it and what do I need it for? So there are some books, when I, especially when I was doing um, my master's degree program, or if I was doing programs on teaching, I have um, I've done a lot of corporate training, that I wanted to learn how to do it. And so what I would do is I would take a nugget that I would find and I would take the back jacket of the book and hopefully it had a blank page or two and I would just write down the nugget and the page it came from. And so basically that book now that's on my shelf, all I need to do is look at the back of the book and look at those nuggets, find the page it's referenced if, it, if I need it again and it's there. It's really, that's, that's one of my favorite ways to do it. I will also use a highlighter, but I highlight just something I call keywords, and so it's not a lot. Um, you know, highlighting more than 25% on a page is, is way more than anyone should ever need. But just like you know, a, a concept, a word, you know, an idea, I'll highlight. So then, if I want to go back into that book and find what did I like about this book, I will immediately flip through and find my highlights. So I like that. But if I have to make a presentation or write like a you know, content on it, I will then use an outline form. I will take what I'm reading and actually condense it back down into an outline. So it, it all depends on why, you know, why I'm reading it and what do I need it for. And sometimes I'll just read nonfiction for fun and not even have a pen or highlighter in my hand. So it all depends. Okay. Uh, and then when when you are reading it, it's, it kind of sounds like you're using a, a physical highlighter, right? So you're reading yes. physical books as opposed to ebooks most of the time. I read both. Um, I prefer. I'm on my computer so much all day long, and so I actually prefer to when I can. I don't print the ebooks, but I'll take it with me to sit in a more comfortable place than my desk. Um, and so I will then take a piece of paper and I will write in it or I'll put something in Evernote. I have Evernote and I'll make a, make some notes in there if I need to. So yeah, I do. I prefer paper actually a lot of the time because it gets me away from my computer. I'm on it way too much. I actually prefer the paper books as well, which is mm -hmm. putting me in the minority, I think of, of most of the people, especially in my line of work and in my age group. <laughs> but uh, there's just something about the physical books. And then also, this is kind of getting into the next point here about how you can actually make more time to read. Uh, you had mentioned planning it or working it into your routine. I've actually developed uh, reading at the end of my day as part of my evening ritual mm. where the screens go off because I'm very aware and sensitive to the, the effect that the blue light has on your body's 
uh, ability to produce the melatonin that helps you sleep. And uh, I've shared on the podcast before, but I've actually been diagnosed with epilepsy. So I need oh. to get my sleep. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, and so like eight o'clock, typically I will try to not look at the screens anymore and I will read for a half hour, 45 minutes before I, I go to bed. And I, I really enjoy that. That's, uh, if you can do that without falling asleep, I give you a lot of credit. I'm personally one, depending on the day that, but there are many days I'm just so tired that if I sit in a, in a fairly comfortable place and I start to read something, even something I have interest in, I might get a half an hour done and then I'm, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> it relaxes me. It, <laughs> you know, I, I give this, um, this uh, concept when I talk in classes, I say, so how many people, typically get sleepy when they start to read and you know inevitably it's like half of the people in the room say yeah I do and I say well here's my theory and it has to do with our upbringing that for most people if they were lucky they had someone who read to them when they were young and typically it was right at bedtime and so you might have had your snack and your bath and your pajamas and then you got into bed and you and you were read a book and so it was the body that got used to thinking okay you know get sleepy you know, when you read, because that's the trajectory that we had, the physiology that we were taught when we were young. And it just, it resonates with so many people why they get tired when they read. And so they have to break out of that physiology. And so by reading at night, if in fact night is a tired time for you, it's not going to work. But for you, it sounds like it works. For me, it's more, <laughs> for me, it's first thing, first thing or second thing in the morning is when I get, you know, I'm definitely more alert than at eight o'clock at night. So it all depends on the person. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what do you think? Uh, and, and handling your or managing your reading workload, this I think for most people m- pertains to nonfiction material. But I've also heard it said that uh, it's it's good to read fiction before bed. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on on why like that might be better than uh, than reading nonfiction other than just your your biological clock? Like if you're going to read the nonfiction, you generally want to try to apply more principles from that to your life as opposed to just, you know, a story before bed sort of a thing. <laughs> or is there, yeah. is there is there something that it does in your brain when you read uh, the fiction versus nonfiction material? I think with fiction, it stimulates more of a, of a uh, relaxation response because you're, you don't have to work hard with fiction at all. It's a story. The brain is being given pictures through the description. When you look at nonfiction, there's no pictures. It's all pretty a digital you know, delivery, digital delivery. And so it helps to read fiction at night because it's so much more relaxing. But with that said, sometimes nonfiction is a great sleeping pill because it's so boring sometimes <laughs> that, you know, if you really want to go to sleep quick, you know, put, bring something on your nightstand that you really are having a struggle with, read five minutes in your sleep. It's all good. <laughs> so it all depends. <laughs> on, it's not the most ideal for getting it done, but um, I like, I personally like fiction before I go to bed if I can. Now, another strategy that you had here for how to make more time to read is this create a want to read pile, which is such a simple concept, but I love this because this is, I think, always having something in the queue is something that I've done for a while, something that I've wanted to read. Uh, so do you want to walk us through this simple four-step process you've got here for creating your want to read pile? Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, and it's also talked about in the dojo so that, that if people want to actually you know, revisit it, they can, they can revisit it. Um, briefly, how it came about was after being in the speed reading business for you know eight, eight years or more, uh, I found that I had a reading pile and I kept trying to figure out why do I have a reading pile? I know how to read quickly. I know how to read efficiently. 
but there's just so much out there. I mean, the amount of material is, is outrageous of how much we can choose from. And so I was, I was feeling kind of dejected, like, how is it that a speed reading expert has a reading pile? And so it, it occurred to me <laughs> that there was stuff in there that just I didn't want and, and stuff that I thought I wanted. I, I, it wasn't valuable anymore. So I created this concept of um, basically a want to read pile or, or making a quality pile. So basically take everything that you have in your work area that you find is, you know, it could be from your nightstand, your bathroom, your desk, you know, the kitchen counter, everything there. And you put it all together because you're the one who's reading it. And then you want to rank everything you're seeing, be it a magazine, a book, you know, a newspaper, on a scale of 1 to 10 of value to you right now. 1 is low, horrible, bad value. 10 is, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to read it now. So that's the scale, 1 to 10. And anything that you have that is below a 6, you put in one pile. And anything that's above a 6, you put in another pile. So basically, you know, 5 and under, 6 and under, and above 6. And so you now have these two piles. Anything under six makes sense that you don't really value. So you want to unsubscribe, recycle, get rid of, um, just don't include it in the pile. And whatever's left is of value to you. But the last piece of it is, well, so let's say you had 50 things in the pile and now you're down to 25. Well, do you have time to read all 25 things? And so it's about trying to balance how much time do you give to reading versus how much you have. And with me, the piles were a combination of too much in there and not enough time being given to it. And so you have to find more time to read to get through any reading, but then to balance the pile. So if you have time for 25 things, great. If not, then you need to weed out more of it so that you have more of a balance between how much time you have and how much you have in your piles. And it's a constant struggle because some months life gets in the way and you don't have as much time to read because of, of work or family demands, and other months you get through twice as much as what's there. So you have to understand that it's not a strict thing, but it's a fluid thing. But understanding that you want to be intentional about it and read things that are of value to you just makes that pile so much more appealing than just like, ugh, here's stuff that just got put there. <laughs> sure. So how often do you go back and reorder or review your pile? You know, it's interesting. I, I would say if I wasn't doing speed reading workshops, it probably would be about once a year because I evaluate my goals once a year. But whenever I do a workshop, I update my reading list, my reading pile so that I can share it with people. So it just depends on how often I'm speaking. But for me, I would say even once a year is enough to go back and look at it and say, okay, what have I gotten through this year? What do I find of value? If I don't find this valuable, get it out, find other things of value if I have more time. Nice. Uh, you also mentioned they're finding more time to read and you have this great chart in the dojo module, which highlights how much time people waste on various social media sites. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. maybe you want to talk about this next point, which is replacing those time wasters with reading. So if people complain, I don't have time to read. I don't have any time. I, I suggest that they take a real hard look at where are they spending their time. So whenever I teach a time management program, one of the prerequisites is that people keep a three-day journal of where they spend their time, be it if it's a business professional or a college student, whoever it is that I'm teaching, so that they can then get a really good look at, wow, I, I spent three hours watching television, or I was on Facebook for 45 minutes here and 45 minutes here on the same day. And I say, well, you know, how much of that television do you really need? How much of that social media do you really need? And can you give up some of it to get more reading done. Now imagine just taking a half an hour a day 
of television or social media and dedicate it for reading, wow, just how much, how, how gratifying that is because you got done so much more and it's, it's good stuff. Hopefully you're reading things that are of value. Yeah, absolutely. Now there's an app that I use on my Mac called timing, which I think is maybe something that would, that would benefit a lot of the people that you're talking about, as long as you're using a, a Mac platform, maybe there's a PC equivalent, but uh, I've found that when it comes to tracking your time, the journal for me doesn't seem to work because I don't remember to go back and jot things down. I, I can't, it, my time tracking can't be active. It's got to be passive. And so what timing <laughs> does is it keeps track of what documents I have open, which websites I'm looking at. And it just gives it, it gives you a report and it's black and white at the end of the day. You know, you spent two hours and 35 minutes on Facebook and you can't, <laughs> you can't argue that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it tell wow, I, that that's kind of like uh, a big brother watching. But if you don't mind that, then go for it. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing about the timing app is that it is uh, a local application, so it is not a web service. It's an app that you install on your computer. It does not communicate with a with a server. It just gives you your report. Mm-hmm. And uh, the app itself, actually, we've got a, a discount available for this application inside of the Dojo, along with a couple other of our favorite productivity apps, but I absolutely love this. And it really has revolutionized the way that I, I track my time because I went from occasionally doing it and then I'd have to fill in the gaps and be like, well, I probably spent two hours working yeah. on this thing to finding out that I actually only spent 30 minutes working on this thing. Cause I was checking Twitter the rest of it. <laughs> I love it. So you, at least you're honest with yourself. That's good. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That baseline is, is really important. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that, glad that you brought that up. Uh, last thing you have on here, which is something that uh, I really enjoy, and I, this has worked for me I, be, ever since I started reading physical books instead of ebooks. I don't know why, but with the ebooks, I can never make my brain focus on the ebook reader. Now, I've, I've tried even like a kind, I've had a Kindle Paperwhite before where it's literally just the books. Uh, and whenever I've got an electronic device, I find my my brain thinking, well, I should just go look at this other thing. I should check my email. I should check my Twitter, whatever. Uh, but carrying something with me all the time, I find that I dig it out of my backpack, even though it's more inconvenient, and actually read it uh, far off, far more often than I did when I kept it on my device. Interesting. I, I love to know that because have you ever been somewhere where you where you have time, you have the space of time, but you don't have something to read? Occasionally, yeah. To me, that's crazy making. It's like I'm wasting, I'm wasting time. Like, give me something to read. I need something to read. <laughs> you know, like if my yep. phone's out of battery and I got nothing to read, I'm like, okay, where's the magazine? I just need something because, you know, to me, that's a waste. Yeah, I, I hate it. I hate it when yeah, that happens. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's why if you intentionally, like, you know, put something in your car, oh, you know, a magazine that comes in every month, just you know, stick it in your car because it'll always be there for those times that you have these moments that you have time to even look. For three minutes, five minutes, it's better than nothing. Uh, I have one other question for you, which is not on the outline here, but you mm-hmm. had had mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that you've kind of been a reading expert for quite a while. How did you get into this area? What caused you to uh, really want to devote the time, attention, and energy to reading, reading faster and, and comprehending more? So I'm a convert because when I went through college, I hated to read. I didn't have any of this training that I'm teaching now until after I had my bachelor's degree. And it was one of those things that I just never understood why anybody would want to read a newspaper on a daily basis. Um, why would you 
read a book, you know, things like that. You know, I, <laughs> I made it through college. I went to Boston University. I made it through college. But it was, it was painful to do a lot of reading. And so um, with my degree, I was able to get a job that at that time I was young and unattached where I could travel. And so basically it said, if you want to, must have a liberal arts degree, be willing to travel and are willing to be trained. And I had no idea, none whatsoever, what this was about, but it fit what I wanted to do. And I said, I can do that. And so when I applied, I found out what they do is they teach speed reading and study skills to kids in private schools. And I was like, huh, all right, well, I'll take the training, but I don't like to read. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, well, that, you know, the rest is kind of history in a way, and that I, I learned the training and I learned some of the skills and then I taught them to kids. And then after I traveled with them for two and a half years, I wanted to, to take it for the high school and the adult market. They only work with kids in schools, in private schools. And so I wanted to take it into colleges and for businesses. And so that's kind of what I've done over the past 28 years is taken all the stuff I started with, you know, got a master's degree and just really kind of built on my experience and tested it out with all the people that I've worked with and reading materials. So um, that's kind of where it started. I used to hate to read. So, yeah. Awesome. And and now you've brought it to the, the dojo community as well. <laughs> yeah, it's really not hard. That's the thing is that there, there are so many people out there like I was that, you know, are the non-readers. They know how to read, but they choose not to read because it's painful or they're slow or they fall asleep or they, it's not satisfying. And I want to help them to see that there really is some, there really are some very simple things they can do to just make it a very satisfying experience. Awesome. Well, like we like we mentioned a couple times throughout this episode, uh, there is a dojo module that you created mm-hmm. called "Read More in Less Time," and you can actually get access to that entire course by joining the dojo. If you go to the productivityshow.com/dojo, you can sign up for just a dollar for your first month. You can go through that course as well as all of the other courses that are in the dojo, and you'll get access to the community that's there. And you'll get access to a pretty sweet discount that you gave us, Abby, for your your full course, your your Rev It Up reading. So you can get access to all of that inside the dojo if you wanted to learn more. Uh, any closing thoughts before we go? Any other tips, tricks, advice that you would give people? <laughs> well, if, if it's okay, I'd like to, to let people know that if they are interested in hearing from me on a little bit more regular basis, I don't send a ton of emails, but if you join my mailing list, I have this uh, ebook. It's a really short ebook, like five pages. That's called Ten Minutes to Faster Reading, and it helps helps you know what your reading speed is, and it gives you a little bit of a strategy for how to manage your reading a little bit better. And it also gives you the paper version of my favorite exercise called Discipline Your Eyes, um, and that exercise is also given to you through a one day free pass from RevItUpReading.com. I have a one-day module. It's module four of the course that I give out for free for people to taste it and just see is this something they want. And so you get to see how it works in that one-day access, and then you can also get the paper version if you join the mailing list. So I want to help people do some stuff for free. They don't always have to buy something, um, except that $1 for the the dojo is a great introduction to your dojo. I love it. I love that. Your stuff in your (laughs) dojo. I I mean, I've looked at everything that's in the dojo, and I really like it a lot, and I I hope a lot of people will sign on to it because it's content you're not going to find anywhere else. Well, thank you for the kind words. And it's great to have you in the dojo as well. Thank you. Uh, so other than the dojo and the mailing list, is there anywhere else that you would like to point people where they can get in contact with you? 
sure they can uh, reach me uh, through my website at RevItUpReading.com. And uh, you can email me, Abby, A-B-B-Y, at RevItUpReading.com. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Abby. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. As we mentioned a couple of times in this episode, Abby actually created this month's video module titled Read More in Less Time, and it's available to all Dojo members right now. In the course, she dives deeper into some of the specific strategies that she mentioned in this episode, and she shows you how to implement the white card method as well as the timed reading exercises to establish your baseline reading speed. She also explains the reading gear shift in further detail and offers several other additional resources to help you manage your reading workload more efficiently. If you are already a Dojo member, you can access this course right now. And if you're not a Dojo member yet, but you want to check out this video module, you can actually get access to not only the Read More in Less Time course, but all of the video modules in the Dojo for only $1 for your first month by going to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You'll also get access to the community of like-minded achievers who can help inspire you and hold you accountable for reaching your goals. You'll also get access to exclusive discounts on some of our favorite productivity apps, like Timing, which I mentioned in this episode, along with Text Expander, Hazel, BusyCal, and others. It's only $1 for your first month and $29 a month after that if you decide to stay on. And if you decide the dojo isn't for you, you can cancel at any time. So again, if you want to join a productivity community of like-minded achievers and get access to the Read More in Less Time video course, head over to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday. <laughs>